Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter. Morning, everyone. Um, so happy to see you all here this morning. Again, another sunny day in Naples. Surprisingly, because we've just had the most terrible, terrible time with the weather. How are things where you are? This morning, I have Steve Sharp. I'm looking really, really looking forward to chatting with him. Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jay Ritter on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, and a very good morning to you. I can, I think I can see my guest, but he hasn't quite connected. Um, a little suggestion, Steve, go out and come back in again. And I'll just keep talking until you get here. Can't wait to chat. Um, for those of you who don't know Steve, Steve has been in EFL for um, over, um, I won't say how many years, but since 2000, 2005, since he graduated, he is a teacher, a teacher trainer, and has taught in many countries around the world. But I will leave that up to him to tell me, to tell you. He's connecting, and I think. Is that you, Steve? This is me. Can you hear me? Oh, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. I couldn't, I couldn't even get into my prelude. Um, not only are you um, a wonderful teacher, teacher trainer, and an IELTS expert, um, I was about to tell our listeners that you are also a foodie, which is yes. where we probably immediately connected. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, but I'll, I'll let you expand on that as you tell us a little bit about your teaching journey because it's a fascinating one. Do you want to just tell us how or tell our listeners how you got started? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me on this radio show. I love Oh, such a show. pleasure. It's and such it a pleasure. And it's such a pleasure to, to have a catch up with you. My Sunday friend. Exactly. I, I, I was thinking I the other day, we haven't, yes, we haven't <laughs> had a Sunday chat in a very long time. So, so how did I get into teaching? <clears throat> Excuse mm. me. I think I kind of fell into teaching. I don't think many ELT professionals set out to um, start in this in this business, this fascinating business. Mm. Um, I'd always been inspired by <clears throat> different cultures, traveling, um, languages, um, and from the age of three, the only thing I wanted to to do was to be a flight attendant. Travel the world, tea, coffee, hot towels, careful their heart sort of thing. You, you speak quite a few languages, don't you? So, yeah, I'm, uh, I speak French and Spanish and obviously English. Oh. So, um, so, yeah, I've got a flair for languages and I always wanted to use them and travel. And that's what I wanted to do. It wasn't until I got to university where I was studying French and Spanish. Um, but in the second year, <clears throat> excuse me. It's okay. It's everyone, sure. everyone's got everyone's got a throat like that at the moment. It's just it wasn't, yeah. It wasn't until the second year of university um, that I discovered TESOL. Oh, well, TESOL, what is this? And I read the module handbook, and I noticed that it was one hundred percent coursework, no exams. I was like, right, I'm doing it just based on that. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved the second year. It was great. Um, the third year was spent abroad for Erasmus in France and Spain, and then I came back to do my final year. And basically the final year of the TESOL degree was um, an extended CELTA course. Mm -hmm. um, and it was during that time I was like, actually, I, I kind of like this, this teaching malarkey. I, yeah, <laughs> I think I could do this. And just talking to um, the lecturers about their experiences of having taught abroad, um, learning different languages and traveling, I was like, yeah, I think I could see myself doing this. And it was during the last year that I had to decide, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be graduating at the end of this academic year. What am I going to do? And all of my friends around me were applying for these graduate schemes and taking years out, um, getting a gap year and doing masters. I was like, I, that just doesn't interest me at all. And I remember talking to a couple of friends who had worked as language um, assistants mm -hmm. during their 
year abroad, um, all um, organised by the British Council. I was like, okay, yeah. I, think, I think I could do that. So I applied. I really wanted to go to a French-speaking country because my French really wasn't on, like, on par. It just, it was, it was awful. Um, so I applied and I thought, mm, do I go to France or do I go to Belgium or do I go to Canada? And I was like, well, you know, I've never been to Canada. Why not? <laughs> so I so I went. I went for the interview in London um, and I got the job. Wow. So I graduated. Um, I then flew to Montreal, uh, September, uh, beginning of September of 2005. Uh, 2005 it just sounds so long ago doesn't oh, it oh yeah but I mean you're as old as you feel you're exactly, as old as you exactly. feel for me it just seems like yesterday <laughs> <laughs> and then um so I worked as a language assistant in a French-speaking college um on the south shore of Montreal and I was working with the low-level um college students so 16 to 18 year olds pre-university mm-hmm. but I also taught some uh evening classes uh, English evening classes for the continuing education department and I loved it it was great hands-on experience I had a good laugh with the uh, with the students I was like okay this is this is my calling and I spent the summer there and managed to get some work at um, a a language school downtown Um, all of these international students who wanted to improve their English and I was just I was just amazed at how much fun I was having and just learning so much more about teaching and from others, etc. And I loved it so much that I decided to stay for a second year. So I did wow. two years in, in Montreal and then I moved back to the UK of September 2007. How did you find there. living in Montreal? I loved it, Jane. Such <laughs> a cosmopolitan city. What mm. I loved about it was the mixture of French and English and how it's all kind of like mixed together. And it, everybody is bilingual. Um, there are so many different things to do in Montreal. It really does cater for everyone's desires. Um, and just a fantastic city. Easy to travel around. Um, but in winter, it. you sort of travel underground a bit, don't you? Yeah, so the winters <laughs> in Canada, let me tell you, Jane, the winters no, no, in Canada I've experienced are it. awful. I mean, like, I think the, the coldest it got while I was there was minus 36 degrees. And, oh my gosh! Yeah, but the country still goes on. You know, they have the infrastructure to mm. to deal with that. And I remember I walked. I lived um, about a five minute walk um, from the the metro. And that morning, I walked to the metro. I didn't have my scarf, and I walked into the into the metro uh, station. And I noticed I had like icicles on my eyelashes, <laughs> and on my nostrils. I was just like, Steve, absolute idiot. But yes. So digressing, but it's all good. So I yeah. moved back to the UK, September 2007. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do? I'm back in my hometown. Do I apply for jobs abroad? Do I fulfill one of my dreams of becoming a flight attendant and apply for like an airline? And as I was thinking about that, I saw an ad in the local newspaper um, that the local college were recruiting EFL teachers. And I was like, this is a sign, just roll with it, Steve. <laughs> That's when so you used I, to find jobs exactly. in the newspapers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I did, and then I got the job, and I ended up teaching at the college for four years. Um, I did um, a PGCE, which is a postgraduate certificate of education. It's mm-hmm. um, for teachers to become qualified to teach in colleges and schools in the UK. So that was part-time over two years. And as much as I was enjoying being in that environment, I started to get itchy feet. And I was getting a bit bored of being back in my hometown. Um, You know what it's like, Jane, you've Mm. been abroad, you move back and nothing has really moved on. People are still doing the same things. Same things, yeah. And that's fine, each to their own at the end of the day. But I think having lived abroad, my um, horizons had been, you know, broadened. And I was like, this just isn't working for me. And it was um, at the start of my last year at the college that I decided to do the Cambridge Delta and that that was going to be my last year and I wanted to go back abroad. So Mm -hmm. I did the Delta um, just to really give me, um, kind of make me stand out from the crowd. Yeah. Um, Super qualified, really. Yes, yes. And um, it was during that year I started looking at jobs with the British Council and I was, I remember... (laughs) I was um, I was sat in the office um, at work one evening and I was trying to prepare for my evening class and I was just really kind of like down, deflated, um, demotivated and I was looking at the jobs 
uh, the job lists on the British Council website and I was like, wow, I could be in Kuwait right now. I could be in Malaysia. I could be in Colombia. And I was like, why am I here? Like, you know, there is another world out there. Um, so I did the Delta. I applied for several jobs and I had always wanted to go to South America. And um, a couple of people who I did the Delta with um, were actually working at the teaching centre in Caracas in Venezuela. And they said, we're going to be recruiting for September. So, you know, just just be patient. Something will come up. Wow. Several interviews, Bahrain, Colombia, um, Malaysia and Venezuela. And I was accepted for all of them apart from Venezuela. And I remember I still hadn't heard from them. And I remember sending them an email saying, OK, this is the deadline that I need to reply to these jobs. My preference is to go to Venezuela. And I was waiting and waiting, waiting, waiting. And I remember <laughs> I was teaching um, a community class on a Saturday afternoon and it had finished. And the deadline to um, you know, respond to these jobs was 2 p.m. And the class finished at 1.45 and I was like, OK, just write the email and just accept like either one of them. Mm. It was as I was writing the email that I got a phone call and it was from the office in Venezuela. And they were like, uh. sorry, we've had IT issues, blah, blah, blah. But we would really love to hire you. You've got the job. And Fantastic. I just like broke down in tears. <laughs> Obviously, you know, I wasn't upset, but I was like, I was shocked, but so excited at the same time. And that's when the kind of like my 11 years abroad began and the rest is really history how long were you in venezuela for i was there for four years um so i started off as a teacher and then within a year i was promoted to a coordinator position Mm -hmm. and then after that to a senior teacher position so less teaching hours and more admin Mm -hmm. so looking after timetabling payroll um all those types of things and in the last two years i was looking after the adult program so the materials the tests um, but also line managing teachers, um, doing inset sessions as well. Um, so mm. it was great fun. And then after that, I moved to Tunisia with the British Council again. And I was there for four years. Um, great opportunity. Tunisia, you know, had never had never been on my list of places to go to, but I'm so glad that I went. Um, very Mediterranean what? feel to it mm. because it's close. I mean, it's, you know, you have the Mediterranean Sea there. So you have the French influence because it was a former French colony. You have an Italian influence and you have an Arabic influence as well. And it does feel very European in certain parts of the of the country, especially with the food. The food is very seasonal. Um, and just yeah. Fame, favorite Tunisian dish? <laughs> um, it would be um, kefteji. Kefteji is a mixture of um, vegetables that have been kind of like grilled and then put into this like spicy tomato sauce with lots of garlic oh. and harissa. Oh. And they have like the, um, the the French baguettes and you dunk it in and oh, it just tastes sensational. Oh, it's wow. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> so, so I was there for four years and during that time I did a lot of MCPD. Um, I had done my master's in ELT in Venezuela before moving to Tunisia. Mm-hmm. I did a marketing marketing course to further understand like the whole process of how a teaching centre works from the customer service, uh, from a customer's perspective, but also from a more business perspective. And that really helped um, me to understand how what we do in the classroom affects the business, etc. Mm. Um, I did a lot of teacher training, so observations, being a Delta, uh, a local Delta tutor for teachers who were doing their um, Delta course. Um, and then during my last year, I trained up as a CELTA tutor. CELTA, okay. Like, um, my goal, really. Mm. And then after those four years, I moved to Bangladesh. That was June 2019, and I moved there on a promotion. So I went from senior teacher to a deputy teaching centre manager. So kind of like um, a deputy principal, if you put it into a state school context. But the one that gets all the work. Exactly. No, no, totally. Totally. Yes. Yes. And um, I wasn't doing that much teaching in Bangladesh. Um, I was mainly behind the scenes, um, overseeing the academic quality of all of the products that we offered um, for young learners, adults, teacher training and corporates, Um, but also deputising for the teaching centre manager. So I had my foot in kind of like the business context or the business side of the teaching centre, um, looking at um, figures, forecasts. Um, so, yeah, it was 
it, it was a great experience, but during that time, I realised that actually I, 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 I do love being in the classroom. Um, so yeah, <laughs> no, it just, yeah. you know, if I, had I... Choice, if I had the choice between sitting in front of a computer and, uh, you know, replying to emails or dealing with spreadsheets or being in the classroom and interacting with the students and, you know, having a good time with them, obviously I'm going to choose the latter. I yeah I I hear you I remember um when I was I was senior teacher here in Naples for the British mm -hmm. Council yeah. and we didn't have a deputy a DTCM we just had the director and then right. there were the two senior teachers so we basically yeah. acted as as TCMs <laughs> but the the um and, I mean and I think it was a good thing something we we and my colleague agreed on is that it's always good just to keep at least one or two classes because if you don't do that yeah. you kind of lose perspective of you what's do. going, and going on as a teacher trainer i mean you you're a, you're a trainer as well yeah i think it's crucial that you keep your foot in the classroom because you can't lose touch with what goes on in the classroom and for me the... they were just they were just the most enjoyable hours of the week yes. you know yes. no one no grumpy teachers no nope. grumpy customers nope. um nope. just you and the students and it's yeah just wonderful yeah. yeah no I completely agree completely agree yeah <laughs> you were saying sorry before I cut you off <laughs> yeah so so yeah I was three years in Bangladesh that was uh, that was a great experience and again um as I said with Tunisia I had never thought about going to Bangladesh you know the opportunity arose and I took it and I'm grateful that I did um but it was during that time obviously the pandemic hit it hit the ELT community hard as yeah. you know Mm. And I think it really made me, I think it made me realise what I really wanted to do in life, um, what I enjoy, what I'm good at, what I don't enjoy, what I'm willing to put up with. And at that time, things were a little bit rocky with the British Council as well, as mm. with all um, businesses in the ELT um, world. And yeah, I... I took the decision to, you know, say, all right, goodbye to the British Council. Thank you for the opportunities that you've given me. But it's time to close that chapter and start focusing on something that I enjoy and really want to do. And that's why I decided to come back to the UK. Wonderful. Just before we move on, yeah. living in Bangladesh, mm -hmm. what was that like? It was different, let me tell you, <laughs> Yeah, I mean... Yeah, there was... Um, so we had to live in a specific area of Dhaka for security reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and that area was very secure because there were lots of... There still are lots of embassies and high commissions. So security, there's kind of like increased security. Um, there are parts of Dhaka which we weren't allowed to go to. That's fine. But the parts that we were allowed to go to were green. There, was, there were a lot of parks, lakes, um, beautiful. Mm. Um, the difficulty of living in Dhaka is the amount of traffic. And when I right. say traffic, I mean traffic like you have never seen before, Jane. So I lived about 10 <laughs> kilometres from the teaching centre, which was downtown next to the University of Dhaka, beautiful area. And in the morning, we would have um, a minibus, or I called it the, the Benga bus, that would come and collect us from our apartments and take us to work. And that probably took about 40, 50 minutes. Wow, but it's only, probably... 10, minutes, only 10 minutes away. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> However, to do the return journey, which is only 10 kilometres, um, after work, it would take between an hour and three hours. <gasps> and you would never know how long it was going to take you because traffic is so unpredictable. Um, you know, the, sometimes there are kind of like rickshaw strikes, uh, maintenance on the road, uh, the monsoon season, the rain just brings the, the city to a complete halt. So, you, you know, you finish a day of work, you're like, right, have I got, you know, have I got water? Have I got snacks? Have I been to the toilet? Is my phone charged? Have I got like a little travel pillow in case we're in there for three hours? And all these things are going through your mind. You just don't know how long it's going to take you. And that was something that just really, really kind of like... After a while, that must get a bit annoying, really. Definitely. I mean... you, th you do that five days a week. I mean, it's just... And you can't plan anything in the evenings either mm. because you don't know what time you're going to get home. 
Um, so yeah, that aspect... and that must have been very stressful for you. I mean, how did you organise dinner parties and dinner in general? Well, have to be at the weekends, <laughs> you know. Okay. Or... Yep. Thankfully, I had a couple of uh, close friends who lived in the same building as me, so we could easily nip in and out of each other's apartments, you know, which fancy quick gin and tonic, yes, get a little takeaway sort of thing, you know, so that was great. Um, but yeah, the traffic really did cause a lot of problems. Um, but on the flip side, one thing I really enjoyed about living in Dhaka um, was the um, the amount of international clubs um, that you can have access to. Mm-hmm. So you have like, the British Club, the American Club, the Dutch Club, etc. And they all have swimming pools, tennis courts. Um, they have alcohol. Um, alcohol isn't readily available in Bangladesh because mm-hmm. it's uh, a Muslim country. Yeah, fine. Um, and it was just nice to be able to go for a swim on my day off, um, meet up with some friends. Um, you know, uh, have like a pub quiz, etc. So, you know, I think if it weren't for those international clubs, I think the the social aspect of living in Dhaka would have been very different. Mm. Wow. And so now you are back. Yes. How is that going? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, it's going really well. It is going really, really wonderful. Um, everything is falling nicely into place. Um, I remember my last day in Dakar, I was kind of second guessing my decision to leave the British Council and move back to the UK. Um, and I was really, really apprehensive um, about that. And I remember um, saying bye to friends. I was a complete mess, Jane. Um, mm. Thankfully, I didn't have any mascara on. I, you know, <laughs> I was a complete mess and it wasn't just because I was saying goodbye to friends who I'd formed close relationships with I think it was more to do with the fact that I was saying goodbye to an international lifestyle that I'd come accustomed to Mm. over the past 11 years and the thought of going back to my hometown when nothing has really changed people really haven't moved on and kind of feeling feeling like I was a teenager again back in my parents house but I knew (laughs) You know what it's like. I do know. I know exactly what it's like. And um, I mean, my decision to stay was obviously, it was simply based on the fact that I have family here. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I, I couldn't just up and up up and move them yeah um i'm not unhappy with that decision because i i love living mm-hmm. in Na- in, Na- in naples in particular because yeah. there is still very much that spontaneity that you you bump into someone yes. you have a coffee um yes. or you just you might see someone while you're out shopping or let's go and grab an aperitivo yeah. um whereas uh, at home it's very, um, you book people in for coffee. If I know I'm going home, I have to book them a couple of months in advance. Yes, and it's, it's very, crazy, um, it? yeah. it's really organized. And, mm. and at times I do appreciate that, but I, I'm i more for the sort of crazy spontaneity that is Definitely. living in Italy. <laughs> yes, yes, that, yeah. And you do have that when you're living abroad. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it's not like that here actually it's funny you've just mentioned that I was talking to a friend this morning trying to organize a meetup before Christmas completely impossible you know it's kind of like can't do this weekend no but this and yeah it's it is that forward planning constantly um but on the plus side um there are things that I do enjoy about living back here I think um, I don't have to compromise on certain aspects of my life in order to integrate into society. Um, I think when you live abroad, there is a compromise. There are certain things that you have to kind of not do in order to help you integrate into the culture, the country that you're living in Mm. um, and interact with the people. Um, And I no longer have to do that. And I think that comes with age as well. Um, Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm turning 40 next year. And, oh, you don't um, look at it. Thank you. Thank you. It's the genes. Thank you. And <laughs> I think as you get older, there are certain things that you're just not willing to put up with anymore. You know, mm. um, if I think about the things that I you know, used to get up to in my 20s and my 30s, um, things that I would think, were OK, that's fine. You know, I can put up with that. I think about them now. I'm like, Mm-mm, sorry, no, no. So on that side... I am it's... I am happy to be back in the UK and also reconnecting with the UK and seeing how it's changed since you know mm. I last lived here 
obviously I came back and visited, you know, while I was abroad. Um, but to actually live here and get back into the daily routine of being here, reconnecting with family and friends, um, being part of their daily lives and not, you know, seeing them every six to eight or 10 months and having mm. a snapshot of, you know, oh, so this happened, this happened, this happened in the past like eight months and bam, that's it and move on. So, um, yeah, and just really appreciating what the UK has to offer, things that I used to take for granted when I was Incredible. in the Great. Um, Steve, we're just going to have a quick break for yes. the news and then we'll get on to everything IELTS and training. Oh, exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could just mute yourself, that would be great. See you in a bit. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Katz Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out! Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. ITV News reports on the workload of educational psychologists in Gateshead, who say they are overwhelmed as the number of children needing special educational help has risen by 117% in eight years. This has placed a strain on SEND services in the area, but the load has been especially large for EPs. Deborah Mason, Service Manager for SEND in Gateshead, said that there had been a wait for some people to complete their doctorate, although assistant ed psychs have been used to enhance the team. This report comes shortly after the Secretary of State for Education in England, Gillian Keegan, sent a message to the education and care sector about SEND reform. In the message, Ms Keegan said she believed that pupils and students should always be able to get a high quality education and receive the right support. She acknowledged the challenges of a complex system, but said that her department wanted to take time to listen to children and parents, as well as those in the system, before publishing a response to the SEND and Alternative Provision Green Paper. An improvement plan would be published in the new year, she added. Part of the plan would include investing £21 million into training 400 more educational psychologists. For young people in areas like Gateshead, this funding can't come soon enough. The BBC News website reports on claims that the University of Derby has suspended a student for taking her baby into lectures. The female student is halfway through a degree and a tutor had agreed to her taking her son to lectures as a short-term measure but this was later overruled. As the student was breastfeeding, she felt she had no option to continue, but was suspended two weeks ago. The student believes she has been discriminated against because she has a baby, but stated she had never allowed her son to disrupt the learning of others. A university spokesman said areas were available on campus for those who needed to breastfeed, but that taking a baby or child into lectures was not allowed for health and safety reasons. Meanwhile, Ulster University has defended itself against claims that it plans to open a campus in Qatar and that will have a negative impact on LGBTQ rights. The university is due to open the campus in Doha in January next year. Speaking on BBC Radio Ulster, Hannah McCulloch, chair of the LGBT Society on the university's Colrain campus, said she is worried that the university is putting financial gain over a community within their community and that it will damage the establishment's reputation. 
A spokesman for the university said, Ulster University believes that education is a route for societal growth and that many UK universities had partnerships with countries across the Middle East. In Wales, the government has announced free Welsh lessons will be extended to the entire education workforce, including non-teaching staff. Alongside this, a new framework for Welsh in English medium schools has been published, underlining how the Welsh language is integral to the new curriculum for Wales. A sabbatical course is also available for teachers to learn or improve their Welsh. Minister for Education and Welsh Language, Jeremy Miles, said, We want everyone to enjoy using the Welsh language. We are ambitious for our language and I am pleased to be able to extend the offer of free Welsh lessons to all school staff. Finally, in a week that saw the release of Department for Education statistics, which show a 20% drop in those entering the teaching profession, many media outlets comment on the possible impact on young people. The number of entrants to initial teacher training fell from 36,159 to 28,999 between 2021 and 22 and the 2022 to 23 training years. The government attributed the fall to the reduced number of new entrants and an increase in the target. But critics pointed out that the government's recruitment targets for secondary school teacher training has been missed in nine out of the last 10 years. A DfE spokesperson said, for teacher trainees in 2023, bursaries and scholarships in key subjects will be available. And we remain committed to raising the starting salary to £30,000. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, did you get a bargain on Black Friday? This week I'm going to talk about deals. First, a little bit of history. Tom will be proud of me. Reading up on Wikipedia and seriously condensing what I found, the term Black Friday refers to the Friday after Thanksgiving when the Christmas shopping season starts. Supposedly, it started in the 1950s. Recently, it marked a time of serious bargains, riots and fighting for unbelievable deals. However, are you getting a bargain or are you just led to believe it? Seeing as last Friday was Black Friday, which began last Monday, and next week will still be Black Friday, or for some stores Cyber Monday or Cyber Week, when you get the best deals online, how do you know a price drop is actually a deal? Well, the short answer is you don't. I have a couple of pointers here that may help you, but the underlying advice is buyer beware. If I go with the best-known online retailer, when using Amazon, there's a nifty little price-tracking website called Camel Camel Camel. This will show you the price data for a product over the time it's been advertised. You can see when it was more expensive and less expensive. If you're on your phone, where most shopping takes place, hit the share icon found next to the product image, go to Camel 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 and paste it into the search box. You can even sign up to email alerts for price drops and add target discount alerts if you're not in a desperate hurry for an item. The next trick is to simply do a web search for the product. You may find it cheaper in a large supermarket store, and although you may need to go and collect it to save on postage, it may be worth the journey. There's also hundreds of coupon and price comparison sites where you may be able to find further discounts. The only caveat being the time you spend researching may actually outweigh the saving you make. I return to my initial warning. Buyer, beware. I hope you get a deal leading up to the holiday season. As always, I'd love to hear your favourite shopping online tips. Let us know at TTR2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And we're back. Um, yes, Steve? we are back. <laughs> Join me again. <laughs> okay. Um, you do a lot of teacher training and you do a lot of IELTS. Mm -hmm. And I think IELTS is probably something I noticed when we when we posted this conversation, um, a, we had quite a few questions um, about about teaching IELTS. Just to, um, to get started, what, what are the, your five top teaching tools? My five top teaching tools, um, referring to teaching in general or specific to IELTS? I think there'd probably be a little bit of overlap. Yes, yes, so, okay. Yeah. Um, teaching tools, first one for me is the whiteboard or a whiteboard in the classroom with some colored pens, preferably black, blue and red. Mm, not green, hard to see. Not green, hard to see, <laughs> yeah. I like to, I'm quite a visual person, so I like to color code my whiteboard. So black is 
for any type of writing. Blue is for new vocabulary. Red is for anything related to phonology, so recording stress bubbles, intonation contours, phonemic script, etc. What I like about the whiteboard is that it's always there. It's mm. never going to fail. You know, I'm, I'm um, tutoring on a face-to-face -face CELTA course at the moment um, at a local university, and the trainees um, are freaking out when, like, the computer freezes. It's, oh, I've got all my... I've got my PowerPoint. Got my PowerPoint. Yeah. Death by PowerPoint. Don't get me started, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you but can the, the teach without it. <laughs> you can. And, like, fantastic teaching has been, you know, has been happening, you know, forever. Mm. Um, so, yeah, whiteboard, anything you record on there, the students will record in their notebooks. And also... It's just so versatile, you know, it's not just for recording folk, um, like recording language, you can play games with it as well, you know, it, it's a great tool, it's always there, um, and I love it. So that would be my top one. Um, second one would be um, a Google Doc. I do love a Google Doc, <laughs> I really, really do. As opposed to a, um, a Microsoft that Microsoft doesn't seem to have that option, do they? Um, I think they've do got they? out. I, I, I honestly don't know. No, mm. no. What I love yes. about Google Docs is the fact that um, they're collaborative, yeah. especially for writing. Um, I do a lot of online teaching, so um, I tend to use Google Docs for collaborative writing tasks. Um, focusing, let's say, on, okay, how do you paraphrase this sentence or how do you write an introduction based on uh, the, the, the IELTS writing task to rubric, um, but also for peer correction. Um, so using a checklist um, when students are maybe correcting a paragraph or peer correcting a paragraph, um, is there a suitable range of um, uh, cohesive devices? Is there correct punctuation, etc.? <laughs> And you can just see it all happening on yeah. the screen. It's fantastic. Um, so yeah, Google Docs would be number two. Uh, number three, Zoom. Mm. I do love Zoom, especially mm. for online teaching. I've used Microsoft Teams and it's just a bit too clunky for my liking. I don't know if mm. you've had any experience with it, Jane. I actually, I just tried a lesson last week. Oh, okay. Um, because I, um, I started at another university right. and they used Teams yeah. and there was a strike and, they, and some of the students asked to have the lesson online. And the thing that I found really um, annoying about it is that you, when you're teaching, you can't actually see your desktop. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Or and this, you can't really see the students interacting, yeah. um, but apart from that, it, I mean, it, they're obviously working to get it similar to Zoom. But I would have a yes. net preference for Zoom Definitely. or even even Google um, Google Classroom. Google Classrooms, Google Meet. Mm. Yeah, that, Google Meets are fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I found really clunky about Microsoft Teams um, was having to create channels because they didn't have the room option and yeah like, well i was like no i'm sorry i can't do this i think i'm quite a tech savvy person i think person. they've i think they have since introduced that they though. have yeah, yeah it's still a little bit clunky sorry for all those microsoft <laughs> team lovers out there um but yeah i think for me zoom all the way it's yeah just it's smooth there are lots of functions um it's easy to use so yeah that would be number three um number four Word wall. Have you come across this? Website? Yes, yes, I do like Word wall. I've had so mm. much fun on Word wall, Jane. <laughs> I've lost hours of the day creating <laughs> games and interactive activities, but it's so much fun. The, my favourite um, activity to create is the um, the, sp the spinning. Um, what's it called? The spinning spiral. Yes. Yes. Great, like, <laughs> communicative teaching activity, like, set them up in breakout rooms, somebody shares a screen, and they just go for it. Exactly. And you you yeah. go in from, you know, you go into one breakout room to the next, and they, they love it. Like, teenagers, mm. um, adults as well, across the board, it's so much fun. <laughs> uh, so that was number four. Number five, um, I don't know if you could, if I could consider this a teaching tool, but I'm going to go with it anyway. I'm I'm all for using authentic materials. Very and, much and so, specific, yes. yes. <laughs> and a specific app that I do like using and I encourage my students to use is the BBC Sounds app because it gives them access to a plethora of podcasts. Mm. I love podcasts. They are so 
they're so insightful. Um, you know, they cover a wide range of topics um, and it gives the students examples, real life examples of how English is used on a daily basis. They're rich in language and there are so many things you can do with them. So um, an app, I don't know if that's a teaching tool, yep. but I'm going to choose it anyway. Do. Yes, it is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I've, I've done yeah, I've done quite a lot of work with podcasts and, and podcasting, not just here, but also with my mm. students. So I'm, I, I really, I, I really support that as a, yeah. as a, as a tool. Certainly, the the transition from online, from during the pandemic, online teaching, yeah. to get students really working together and also yes. learning about their interests. Yeah, exactly. It's a great way to do it. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you obviously do. You're doing a CELTA at the moment, but you're also um, doing quite a lot of IELTS preparation. Mm -hmm. um, how do you support students preparing for IELTS? I like to focus on the mindset of IELTS. I think there are a lot of misconceptions of what IELTS is, how it works. A lot of students think that um, you do an IELTS preparation course, let's say a 30-hour preparation course, that automatically means you'll get a band nine. And it really doesn't work mm. like that. Students need to understand, and teachers for that matter, that IELTS is an evaluation of a student's current level of English. It's basically a snapshot of where they're at at the moment. Mm. And when students want to get, let's say, a band seven, they need to understand that their general English level already needs to be at that level um, in order to achieve that band score. So I do a lot of kind of like mindset with, um, work with them and constantly remind them of this and what IELTS is and how it works. And also my formula to IELTS success is exam familiarization with language development. So exam mm. familiarization is all about understanding how the exam works, so how many tests are there, what are the timing for each test, uh, what are the question types, what are the strategies, how is the speaking and writing um, assessed? So looking at the criteria, but then also focusing on language development. <clears throat> so ensuring that students are um, exposed to English through reading a wide variety of texts, mm -hmm. listening to podcasts, watching TV shows and movies, and focusing on the fact that they need to expand their language through these activities. So focusing on um, expanding their range of vocabulary, uh, the language structures, um, the appropriacy of how language is used in specific um, contexts. Um, if we look at reading, for example, language is always presented in context. There is correct punctuation. The overuse of commas just like drives me crazy. Um, and also, when they're reading a wide wing, a, a wide range of topics, they're getting different perspectives on different ideas. And I found that that can help students in the speaking and the writing. Um, one of the things that they struggle with is, just, oh, I don't really have an idea about this. But if they've read, um, if they've read widely on a range of topics, they're going to get different perspectives, and that's going to help them um, to come up with ideas. So it's not just about doing a lot of practice tests, which unfortunately yes. many organizations seem to push ahead of of that actual development so I, wrong, I i mean i hear you when you say um, reading and reading different things um the reading exam is looking at the statistics of recent exams it seems to be dropping um mm. and i'm wondering whether that has anything to do with People are not reading enough anymore. I think it is, actually. Um, mm. I finished, um, um, I did an IELTS preparation course a few months ago. And um, we were talking about, you know, what do you do to improve your, to practice your English outside of the classroom, all this and that. And a couple of the students said, yeah, I don't really read. I was like, mm. okay, but you're going to be assessed reading like <laughs> reading skills are going to be assessed and you're applying to go to university so you, you need to read you will be reading you <laughs> yes. will be reading you will have to read like you're not going to have any any choice and they they just they just didn't think about it and it's yeah and like what you going back to what you said about 
just doing practice test after practice test. It's wrong. Like it's not going to improve your level of English. It's not going to, you know, expand your vocabulary. It's not going to allow you to use um, idiomatic expressions and mm. use complex structures, you know, at the band seven level. It's not. Yes, it's going to help you with your exam technique, managing time, managing your stress levels, but it's not going to allow you to expand your language to, so that you can show it off in the speaking and the writing exam. Wow. Yeah. So how are you how are you helping learners to understand what they need to know? It really is raising awareness of where their language is at and the language that they need to be um, producing at, let's say, band seven, for example. It's about managing their expectations mm. and saying, right, this is where you are at the moment. This is where you need to get. And these are the areas of language that you need to work on. And it's not going to happen in a 90 minute or a two hour class once or twice a week. As soon as you step outside of the classroom or you, you know, log out of the Zoom classroom, that's where you need to start putting in the practice mm. to expand your language and, you know, develop your skills, not testing skills, but developing those skills outside of the classroom. Um, and that's what, that's what I focus on a lot in my lessons. Um, you know, we use the the face-to-face the -face or the online classes to learn about the exam structure, the formats, the techniques, but also practicing the speaking skills and getting feedback on their language. Okay, this was correct. This was incorrect. Why was it? Mm. Um, I think that's really important for students to be able to progress from, let's say, a band six to a band seven. Yeah, definitely. It's also interesting that... Um, sort of looking at other at the similar statistics for listening <laughs> um, scores seem to be rising and I wonder yeah. if that's due to podcasts or Netflix yes, or no, totally, um, totally. You know, yes it's, yeah, I couldn't um, agree more I think um, yeah when the pandemic hit people were obviously spending a lot more time at home just doing nothing right let's binge watch a Netflix series <laughs> you know um as we all did which I'm sure you did as well Jay. um yeah it's interesting to see how those kind of like how the viewing habits have changed and how it's reflected in the exam scores yeah on a on a global level really yes. yeah. yeah so um what advice would you give IELTS teachers IELTS teachers first of all you need to understand the exam mm. period in my experience um, of teaching IELTS and having worked with other teachers who are new to it they kind of get thrown in at the deep end and they just follow the course book or a course book mm. and, they and there are very many of them are, around <laughs> there are yeah and I think one thing that a lot of them lack is the focus on um, language development. Um, teachers need to understand how the exam works, the specifics of it, the techniques, um, but all, uh, because you know students are going to ask them the questions like, oh, okay, how many times do we get to listen to the recording and the listening? Um, well, I, might be twice, and actually it's one, you know. Mm. Um, and knowing what the techniques are for the different exam questions and the different tests, so knowledge is key of the exam. Um, also, teachers need to develop their own teaching skills, uh, especially with IELTS. There are a lot of um, IELTS teacher training courses out there. Mm. Um, some are better than others. Um, I'm just coming towards <laughs> the end of one with um, Fatma Lassonsi, who you're mm -hmm. going to be interviewing um, in January, I believe. Yep. Yep. Um, her course is fantastic. Um, it focuses on how to develop um, student skills and not test them. It's interesting what you said earlier about a lot of course providers, a lot of language schools that just keep pushing practice, practice tests. Well, that's yeah. testing their skills. We need to focus on developing them. And that's what her course um, focuses on. And it's been an eye opener for me. I mean, I've been teaching IELTS for years. Mm. There are some things that have come up in the course. Wow, why didn't I think of that? Yes, <laughs> I'm going to include that one. So yeah, I think um, my advice would be um, learn about the exam, 
and develop your exam teaching skills, definitely. So you're, you're actually starting up your own business as well. Do you tell I us a little bit about that? Yes, yes. Hmm. Um, so I'm putting together my own IELTS preparation course. Um, it's going to be online. Um, the speaking element of the course will be um, synchronous. So live lessons twice mm-hmm. a week via Zoom. And then the listening, reading and writing will be asynchronous. Um, so I'm going to be creating videos thanks to the course that we did. The uh, yes, as you said, you, they will be they're fantastic. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'll be creating video content um, and materials for those three tests that students can um, complete in their own time um, using my approach of exam familiarization and language development. And during the course, um, there'll be a lot of support from me um, for the speaking course. Obviously, it's going to be live. Mm-hmm. But they'll also have the chance to complete one to one speaking practice tests with me and get feedback. They'll be able to have feedback on their writing as well through the, um, throughout the course. So that's that's what I'm going to be focusing on um, for my business. Well, my yeah, um, uh, for our listeners, I've seen some of the material and it's really really great stuff <laughs> um it, it also no, but it also really as you said working more about with language rather yes. than yeah um i mean yes i agree students do need to have some strategies but of course can't be all about strategy it can't it can't because at the yes. end of the day they're not IELTS going to move on yes <laughs> yeah. it's an evaluation of your current level of english so you've got to develop that language Wow. Steve, people who inspire and influence you. Oh, um, I think that I'm going to answer this question in two parts, if that's OK. Yeah. In general, there are a lot of people that have influenced me throughout my life, um, especially those that focus on, um, you know, breaking down discrimination based on gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, faith, etc. Um, just to give a few examples, like yep. Rosa Parks, Dr. Martin Luther King, focusing on you know, the struggles of racism. Um, sports players like Tom Daly, Keegan Hurst, who came out as gay and are breaking down those stereotypes that, you know, professional athletes um, can be homosexual mm. and they can still, you know, do be the successful. job. They can still perform, <laughs> exactly. Yep. Um, actors um, who have come out as well, Luke Evans, Zach Kintory, Kinto, sorry, Jodie Foster, who are breaking down the stereotypes, um, you know, of gay actors being able to play straight roles, etc. I think it's fascinating. I take my hat off to all those types of people. But there is one specific person who has really influenced me over the past two to three years. It's a man called Joshua Becker, and he's the founder and creator of a website called Becoming Minimalist. Mm-hmm. So the whole concept of min- minimalism has been around for a long time, but there's a lot of mis- um, there's a lot of misunderstanding around it. People tend to think that minimalism means living with the bare minimum and depriving yourself of all things in your life. But actually, it's not. It's about changing your mindset to focus on what you really need in life and what's going to, you know, and how that's going to bring benefits to your life. And just to give a very, very quick example, um, it was interesting what Steve Wood said earlier about the Black Friday mm. um, sales, etc. Joshua um, posted two quotes um, saying that for Black Friday, if you didn't need it before Black Friday, you don't need it now, it's on sale. <laughs> and another one is, you know, no holiday should manipulate you to go into debt to show others how much you love them. That's very, very true. And yes. I think this whole, like, that mindset has really influenced me, has really changed my perspective on life, not just from, like, a materialistic level, but just life in general. Yeah. I think, yeah, my um, my, coll- my radio uh, my radio colleague, Harry Waters, um, posted something quite similar on Black mm. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm writing this very short blog post about about Black Friday and it went something like don't buy things you don't buy mm, you don't need yeah exactly <laughs> and that's it <laughs> it was true. a very short blog post um yeah, but it was a very effective sweet. one yes short and straight to the point yes <laughs> yeah no I mean as we're as we're sort of going into Christmas I just mm. I hate it it's just 
I'm more about creating memories and mm. spending time with people. Yeah. You know, mm. it's um, I'm not against giving presents. You know, I've got a younger brother. I've got two young nieces. Like, I get it. It's, you know, mm. it's exciting for them. But for me, I just want to be able, I would rather go out and go to a spa with a group of friends or go out and have a lovely meal with some friends. Yeah. Go out for a long hike, you know, in the hills or something and spend that quality time together. Because, um, you know, as we said, we're so busy nowadays. <laughs> it's, Yeah. Yeah, but no, Joshua Beck, I'm a, a huge fan of his. He's been really influential. I'm going to look him up. Yeah. Yes, do so. Do. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, what do you hope to accomplish in the next year or so? Um, I'm going to focus. So from January, um, I'm going to be focusing full time on my IELTS prep course. Um, and I really want to get that up and running and trying to reach as many people as possible mm. um i want to target on um students who are uh, applying for postgraduate studies abroad um but also professionals who already have some work experience but they want to do postgraduate studies and um, to further to get you know further ahead in their mm -hmm. careers um so yeah i hope that by this time next year the course will be fully you know completed up and running um, so yeah, that's going to be my my goal for next year. It's going to be wonderful, and I wish you the very very best of luck. Because <laughs> I've, I've had a sneak peek into some of the content. I'm I'm will thoroughly recommend it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, tell us a fun fact that most people don't know about you. I am a qualified Swedish body masseur. <laughs> <laughs> You weren't expecting that one, were you? How Jane? did you? How did you do that? I think somewhere in my in my memory, I do remember this. But how did you? How do you train to become? So when I was working at um, the Eccles College in my hometown in Telford, um, after moving back um, from Canada, the college had um, a large um, beauty and holistics department, and they did all types of holistic um, beauty therapy courses. And because I was a full time staff member, all part time courses were free. Now, I've always been a fan of a spa day, pampering, I'm all over that. Mm. And originally I wanted to do the reflexology course, but it clashed with my timetable. The only one available was the Swedish body massage. So, <laughs> so I did it over one mm. academic year, um, loved it, and set up my own business, you know, had my uh, uniform, oils, towels, my own um, massage table. Oh my gosh. And, yeah, I went, I went to people's houses and, you know, gave gave massages there. Mainly back neck and shoulder massages because that's where, that's the, the part of the body where we store most of the energy, uh, mm. the stress. Um, but I loved it. Very hands-on, mm. understanding the client. Um, and it just made a change to, you know, from teaching when you're constantly thinking and using your brain. I loved it. Um, and just to clarify for those who are probably thinking about it, my massages were legit. There were no happy endings. Just out there. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know I have a question for you. Yes. Um, you have an incredible collection of shirts. Um, <laughs> Yes, it's still could growing. You, yeah. Could you just tell me roughly how many you have? Ooh. And, um... Not that many now, because when I moved back to the UK, I oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I have a rule. If I haven't worn something in a year, it goes to charity. Mm. So I had, uh, when I was in Bangladesh, I had about 20, which I know doesn't sound quite a lot, but... It's hot and you need to keep, hot, you need to wash them every to, day. Exactly. And I had a lot of um, Punjabis, which is the traditional clothes, um, mm. like attire that men wear in Bangladesh. So at the moment, I think I've probably got about six or seven shirts. Oh, yeah. You've really I, I downsized. Yes. Yeah, I downsized. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there is a high possibility that that is going to increase. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Um, do you have a favorite quote? I suppose you've just actually you've just shared them with us, haven't you? Um, I do. <clears throat> One of my favourite quotes is by RuPaul. That mm. she says, "If you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else?" Can I get an amen up in here? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's I think it's relevant for today's yep. culture because you know we're, we're like we're obsessed with perfection, sharing our lives on social media, filters, comparing, etc. When Actually, you know, I've come to the realisation that it's people's so-called imperfections that bring a lot of beauty 
a lot of joy to life. And I think if you can't love yourself, then how are you going to be able to love somebody else and, you know, give yourself to them? So that's my favorite quote. Well, that is a wonderful way <laughs> to to wrap up this show. Um, it is. Um, it has just been so lovely chatting to you, and we, we need to resume Sunday chats. Um, yes. Tell me if if students are looking for you, they want to find you. Um, your website. My website is uh, com. Perfect. Thank you. Um, as as a um, a colleague, I would thoroughly recommend <laughs> Steve's course if you are preparing for IELTS. And I think for now, um, it's just time to say goodbye. Um, happy holidays Thank if you're you. having them don't work yes. too hard yes. Um, yes thank you very much for this opportunity oh it's thank you so much for pleasure. coming it really has jane thank you and i will chat to you maybe next year and see how everything's going yes definitely definitely okay Enjoy looking yourself. forward to that yes take you care. too take <laughs> bye care bye, bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.